Welcome to Kinetic, a healthcare app bonus series about careers and leadership in healthcare marketing and related fields, including digital strategy and consumerism. The modern world of work is constantly moving, so in this series, we bring you musings on careers and leadership from well-known friends. Our goal is to highlight the journeys that some of our friends have taken to reach their work goals and some of the insights that they've learned along the way. I'm Jared Johnson, founder of the Shift Forward Health Production and Marketing Group. Over the course of this bonus series, we will be sharing exclusive interviews with an all-star lineup of experienced leaders. Today, I'm sharing another classic interview from 2020 with Jess Colombo, one of the country's leading digital marketing and social media experts. You'll learn why Jess says that too much focus on your elevator speech can actually paint you into a corner and lock you out of new opportunities. And you'll hear how she's mindful of the pressures that young professionals put on themselves to power their way up the ladder quickly. Let's get moving. Well, hey, Jess Colombo is here with me today. Jess, thanks for joining me on The Resilience Journey. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk shop and everything in between. You bet. That's what I kind of like about this. It's kind of an intersection of talking shop and and what you've got going on day to day, where you are now, but then how you got there. And it hasn't just been like this linear journey straight from there to here. Everything went according to plan, but... You know, here you are sitting here, you're the founder and CEO of, a, of a, a well-known marketing agency, a marketing firm that's doing a lot of good in the world, quite frankly. And let's, you know, it's not as simple as, hey, you know, I, I snapped my fingers or I wrote something down however many years ago and now I'm here. There's right. a lot along this journey. So oh, yeah. what if we start with where you are now and then okay. we'll go back of, like what's gone according to plan and what has not gone according to plan to get you there. Yes. But let's start off with where you are now. Tell us more about tiller marketing and, and everything. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. I'm excited to dig into the, the hard, good, juicy stuff. I call myself a reluctant agency owner, accidental, fortuitous. I, we have been really grateful to have a really strong network who has referred a lot of fun business our way, a lot of meaningful business our way over the last five years. So, so much so that I've had to build a team. But that wasn't the, the plan. That never has been the plan. But I'm really grateful for it. And I'm lucky to be surrounded by a lot of folks that, that help me do what we do every day. So we're, to some extent, a full-service Marcom, kind of boutique-sized agency, explicitly for clients in regulated spaces. So that's healthcare, higher ed, banking, government, anybody who's navigating compliance and some really tricky stuff, but also trying to build brand and build community and build leads and bottom line. We have kind of unique background and expertise in that space, that little niche, which is regulation and then community. So most of the work that we do day to day is digital and social strategy, but also a lot of execution and creative work in that space. But COVID has changed the game for a lot of us and we're doing out of home and we're doing radio spots and we're doing things that we never had to do because we need to reach people in whatever way we need to meet them where they are. So we're designing billboards and, and doing TV spots. So that's been a really fun extension and learning experience for us in the last six months. I mean, there's a first step along this journey, right? It's like the, totally. the ever growing, just the, the difference, the, the flexibility, the agility to, yeah. to have to expand a knowledge set. Even when you feel like things are set, you got your team here, the things we rock and roll at. And now, Oh, now we're doing other things. 
Right. Yes. And there's that line of, I don't want to say yes to something and stretch and make everybody uncomfortable or not be operating out of our strengths and underserve a client or have, have there be any kind of kind of bait and switch. So when somebody says, can you do this? Having that reconciliation moment within yourself of saying, well, I could figure it out. Is that a good use of our time? And is that a way that we're best serving our client? Now with COVID and public health and needing to get out in front of people and make sure that they're screened or that they know to use a mask, an extension of the communications and the creative that we were doing and hopping in a recording booth and doing a radio spot wasn't so far out of our scope that we didn't feel like we could still kick butt for people. And, and it was out of necessity, but yeah, I, um, my husband became my business partner two years ago and it's been fascinating to be a couple years ahead of him on the entrepreneurial journey because I see myself and all of the imposter syndrome and the, what about this, you know, scenario. And I have continued to say to him, step in the step appears, but you have to be brave enough to put your foot out and know that you might drop, but that you're going to be okay. That you're not going to, you know, you're going to survive that. You're going to figure it out. But that kind of courage comes from having failed or nearly failed and not died about a hundred times. Right. So now I can tell myself worst comes to worse. I'll figure something out. And I think God bless small business owners who just every day they're, they're hurdling a lot of different things and needing to kind of figure it out on the fly. Maybe when, I have this idea that I'm going to get to a place where I'm really comfortable and I'm kicking butt and I feel like I'm operating out of my strengths all day, every day. But maybe at that point, I would be totally dissatisfied with the journey, right? If I wasn't still curious and I wasn't still a little bit uncomfortable, maybe that's a really important part of continuing to get better and and to be successful. I don't know. That's a really interesting insight that you just uncovered. The, if the goal in our minds might've always been get to that comfortable place. Right. Yeah, it's hundred percent operating out of strengths, like you said, and yet the discomfort is likely part of what has gotten you to where you are now. Totally, absolutely. Yeah, I suppose that's where the growth happens, right? Yeah. And you know, the, this field isn't exactly. I always joke with people. I mean, if we wanted something boring and stable, we'd be accountants. I mean, oh <laughs> yes, I was so jealous of all my friends in college. They knew they wanted to be an attorney. They knew they wanted to be a clinical provider. I knew I wanted to be a poet much to my parents' disappointment at a very expensive liberal arts college. So I got a writing degree and I just wanted to get paid to write. And a lot of curiosity led me here. So yeah, there's something really safe and secure about knowing, but I've always really operated in the unknowing and and it's turned out okay so far. That's an important piece, right? It's turned out and guess what's allowed you to not only roll with things, but to excel at at things as they have changed. I mean, you're talking to me, I started out as a computer engineering major then I became a psych major then I ended up with a PR degree that I haven't used in 15 years. I've been in, you know, marketing. I I learned how to code websites like by hand while I was in college. And then like when it wasn't even a thing, I think there was right. like one, yeah. like one or two classes you could take. And then lo and behold, like digital marketing and digital health weren't yep. things then, yes. but guess what's allowed me to kind of roll with that and not be like stuck in, in one framework of, of what I do all day long, yeah. been able to yep. figure it out as I go. So sometimes yep. I look back and I'm like, that definitely did not go according to plan. But then I'm like, right. okay, well the plan was to focus in certain areas and to continually learn and use these strengths. Well, here is a way to use those strengths all at the same time. And it sounds very similar in terms of where you've been able to figure that out. I mean, marketing is, it's never going to be still, it's never going to like stop moving. And so 
Yep. Sounds like you were used to things not standing still and that right. has served you well. I love how you're describing your journey because I, I tell a lot of people that I'm mentoring from a professional standpoint that your career journey will only be linear in retrospect. It will never be linear when you're looking forward, right? And what you and I maybe have done is, along with a great deal of privilege that I want to acknowledge, I got a head start from a lot of reasons and I've got a really supportive community around me and a lot of different areas of privilege. But looking forward, I have been spoiled enough to just pull on the string of curiosity and had managers or people around me say, yeah, I'm willing to let you go do a deep dive in CSS or do a deep dive in email analytics or I went back to school and studied palliative care because I happen to have some, unfortunately, a lot of personal experience early in my life in that space. That accidentally got me into healthcare, not something I would have ever dreamed I would be working in. So I think you and I both just kept pulling on the string of that sounds interesting and that feels meaningful to me. And in retrospect, now we can draw this kind of linear line, but to put a lot of pressure on yourself. And I think young people and people coming out of school right now, especially a ton are putting a lot of weight on their shoulders that the next step has to be the step. And it has to be this seemingly linear move. I just don't think that's enough grace. And I don't think that's the reality of how a lot of us have built kind of our body of work. I would definitely agree to that. And I, I agree with the pressure too. The feeling of I've got to nail this this time. Got to hit a home run every time I'm at that. Everything's just got to be this like every piece of content's got to go viral. I'm going to yes. build my brand, but every piece has got to go viral. And it's got to like make this big difference in the world. And and uh, very, very few things can be further from, from reality. Yes. And that's a mindset. I mean, that had to be part of, I'd love to hear this part of, of your journey from poet to where you are now. So take oh us through God. that. Yes. Graduated with a poetry degree and, uh, and got out of school and uh, reached out to a temp agency. And I said, I don't care where you put me. I just want to get paid to write. And I came out in the last recession school. So I work a lot with my undergrad you know, career center and with some of the kids that I teach or young people that I am able to teach now in the classroom from time to time and who are coming out in a in a recession, uh, depression-esque time, who are saying, what? And I say, take out the garbage and take the gig and be the waiter or waitress. Do the work that needs to get done. It will be very easy to create the story for the next hiring manager about how you worked your butt off to make it work during this time. And in the meantime, continue to pursue that portfolio work and the volunteer work and the stuff that that is more in line with where you want to go. But I adore recruiters and staffing firms. I don't know why I wouldn't want lots of people looking for me on my behalf. And um, and so I signed up with one and they staffed me at a PR agency. And I didn't know what PR was. And I was the youngest kid there and was taking out garbage and was cutting clips and was getting yelled at for not doing either of those things right. And it was a much needed humbling experience for me to be the bottom of the totem pole. What a gift that is. And Facebook opened up Uh, about a year later from college kids to brands. And as the youngest kid at the agency, I said, I think we should pay attention to this thing called Facebook. Twitter came the next year. And again, I had leaders who had enough courage to allow me the space in the room to play and to learn and to keep pulling on that string. So I was at the agency for a couple years and unfortunately had some folks in my life that passed unexpectedly and had kind of a crash course in hospice and palliative care. And I said, I think I want to combine this 
thing digital that I'm really passionate about and this unusual skill set that I now have, which is spending time with people at end of life. And I want to go back to the classroom. So I went and got a graduate degree in uh, journalism and, and digital communications and specialized. My research area was in end of life and palliative care patients. So could online community add value to folks at a time when a lot of people are feeling isolated and depressed and, and there's a lot of lack of access to your community? Could online channels improve quality of life? And so I uh, spent a couple of years doing research and little did I know that, you know, 10, 15 years later, it's a very relevant body of work right now as well in the time of COVID. But uh, came back to Portland, went back into the PR agency. They took me back. I was a boomerang at the same agency where I was able to help them build out their portfolio of digital and social marketing services. And then I had an opportunity at a place called Oregon Health and Science University. And they were really building out their digital social program. It was kind of a one-woman band up on the hill. And so I came in and I took her place and I worked my tail off and spent a lot of time building relationships so that I could do the work. First, I had to gain people's trust. I had a crash course in kind of politics and corporate bureaucracy and institutional life, which was a really important, really humbling experience, and was able to build a team up there and a practice. And as we evolved that and grew the work that we were doing on the Hill, I started to identify another kind of area of curiosity and a niche, which was the intersection of kind of regulation and social. And I realized I had started teaching at OHSU in their NEO, which is new employee orientation. And I realized that integrating social media curriculum at new employee orientation was, in my opinion, the most crucial touch point of getting people on board and engaged as brand advocates and ambassadors, but also getting ahead of risk. So they're not taking silly selfies on the floor when they go into the labor and delivery room, right? I wanted to be, I didn't want to be the, the social media policewoman. I wanted to be the, the cheerleader of that space. And I thought, I think I want to teach and full time. I think this is what I want to do is just support people as they embrace this space and all the possibilities in it but also knowing that they've got concerns around privacy or around data or around reputation. and How do we navigate that? And it was really the teaching and working with folks that got me to launch my practice. So that was about five years ago. We'll get to it. But my dad's first question was, how are you going to make the same amount of money? You crazy person. I am so concerned. You know, he had a lot of fear about going out on my own. A lot of people had concerns out of love, I think, you know. And um, yeah, I didn't know, but I thought I could figure it out. And here we are. <laughs> well, there's a piece you just, you just landed on, like just now. I didn't know, but I figured, I, I knew I'd figure it out. Oh my that, gosh. that is a mindset in and of itself. Let's dive into right. that a little bit. Like what allows you to think that way? Like what allows mm-hmm. you to, to feel like I'll be able to figure this out. I don't know A to Z, but I know A to D, you know, mm-hmm. I, I can get there and then I'll have a better vantage point to get past there. What, what allows I, you to think that way? Yeah. Again, I'm going to say privilege. And I, I had helicopter parents who just blew a lot of smoke up my ass. My whole life told me I was the best thing that ever happened to this planet. And I could do anything I, I put my mind to. And I, unfortunately, I started to believe them. And also, I think um, have ha- I've been really grateful for an, a robust community. And in areas where I've been weaker or not had access or not had you know good visibility of 
I've learned to ask for help when I need to. So I tell a lot of people as they start their business, get yourself a great accountant and get yourself a great therapist. And that team of Avengers, I think, is the wind beneath your wings as a small business owner. So some of what I can figure out is because I've got really lovely humans around me. Get yourself a great partner. doesn't have to be a romantic partner, but somebody who can listen to you gripe day in and day out in the beginning when everything feels really heavy, like a really heavy lift. Someone told me in the beginning of entrepreneurship, they said, is is being an entrepreneur just Googling things? And I said, hell yes, it is. Thank God. So Google, I want to give a shout out to Googles for a lot of things, but truly um, the gift and the challenge of this is that whether I'm happy or I'm unhappy, it's solely my responsibility. And so I hate that sometimes. I hate it when I'm really unhappy. And I think, damn it, that's my problem too. I can't just blame anybody else. And it's also a really freeing experience as a business owner, as my own boss. I think a lot of people yeah, see the really shiny stuff and they think you're killing it. That must be so fun. You can just take off in the middle of the day. Okay. It is a gift, but the responsibility is, is significant as well. But there's a, a lot of probably therapy, great partners and team members, a really supportive family, and then enough trying and failing and trying again and succeeding, that I think just time on the ground builds that kind of reservoir of strength and courage. But if you don't work out your courage muscle, it's not getting bigger. So to continue to do things that freak you out is a really important part of my journey, for sure. I love that, which means it hasn't been success 100% of the time. There have been some low points in there. Can you take us through mm-hmm. any low points that come to mind where things were not going according to plan and and it it really wasn't as clear, like what my options are, starting to freak out a little bit. What Any low points that come to mind? Yeah, sure. I set out this practice to do something totally different. And I think one of your interviews with Joe was fabulous. It was one of those, it's so simple when you get out of your own way and just listen to what the community needs or what your customers are asking for, instead of being so ingrained on what you thought you were going to do or what you wanted to build and being in love with the product or service. There were times where I, I felt like I was pushing this rock up the hill in terms of what I was trying to build. And it just wasn't catching or people weren't understanding it. I was using language even in describing my service offerings. And that wasn't the language that my customer was using or that my client was asking for. And so being humbled enough to understand that kind of the three-legged stool of what are my clients ready for? And then where is my joy? And how do I design a practice, you know, where I'm, I'm sitting in something that really energizes me a lot and where I feel really strong in my skill set, but also that meets my client where they are and is really empathic or compassionate to where they're at is something that I struggled with and I still struggle with. I have a lot of grand plans and I think um, giving yourself the flexibility to be nimble and to pivot, especially with COVID, is paramount. I had a a body of coursework and some books and a lot of things in production in Q1 and everything is sitting over here. And, you know, you flog yourself about all the things you coulda, woulda, shoulda been doing and the things that you should be. If I wanted to do my morning pages and be a writer, then I should be up at 5 a.m. writing, but I'm not. And that's okay because I'm really tired right now. (laughs) So I think there's a lot of um, challenges that were around trying to force something 
that it wasn't the right time or I wasn't ready to actually, you know, bring to market. I also had times where I took on work, I underbid and I said yes to distractions that I thought were opportunities because those things look very, very similar. But I knew it wasn't the industry. I knew it wasn't a mission alignment. You know it in your gut. And I took it because I was scared, because the money looked good, because the security of having it on a retainer felt good. And then it was a painful ride. And um, I'm a bit conflict averse. So firing a client or squandering something and being in a situation that's not right to the point where you have to part ways, it's just an unnecessary goof up. If I had addressed it earlier on, and and again, I I chalk it all up to a, a big boatload of learning as I go along, but I've had some painful breakups because I wasn't courageous enough at the jump. And the big asterisk is sometimes you need to take those gigs because you need to pay your mortgage. And that is totally okay too. So just a big heaping pile of grace onto yourself because even the goof ups I feel like are unbelievably valuable learnings. Yeah, hundred percent. I don't know any successful person who has said I got here in <laughs> spite of those. It's like, because of those, because oh, of those yes. points. And because they're of in spite of, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of pain in the moment. And yeah. it, like you said, you, we can look back and things seem linear. We can look back and say, oh yeah, that was good for me. I mean, just like yeah. a lot of other things in life and yes. it's, it is so not clear in the moment. And, yeah. and I like what, one other thing you said about just giving yourself the flexibility and the grace, because I feel like that's harder to do when you, when you're so set on caring what other people think. And there's a difference between that and if I make a mistake and people see that, like I'm screwed, yeah. you, you know, like I, yes. oh, like gosh. people's perception of me is going to go down and I'm not going to, you know, in my case, your case, I'm, I'm not going to get that client because they're not going to think I'm the right. Right, the right match or the right fit for what their needs are. And yeah. you can spin yourself in circles oh with gosh. that type of self-talk. So yeah. how do you know when to pay attention to what people think and when not to? Yeah, that's a really great, uh, you're making me think a lot about, I think a lot of us are worried about like your elevator pitch and your record, your personal brand, right? Am I the healthcare gal? Am I the compliance gal? And I had initially, when I started, I was seeking out a business coach and I still believe that business coaches can be incredibly helpful. I happened to find people who wanted, mm, without throwing anybody under the bus, there were styles that were either too woo-woo and they wanted to kind of hold hands and, you know, be, and or styles that were really um, like, here's what you got to do. Let me tell you, little lady, what you got to do. And neither of those really vibed for me as a business coach. But a lot of those folks were telling me to, to be more, to prioritize and to really build something that could be scalable or replicable, but to be more focused. And so I spun for a long time about how specific I needed to be so that I had that really clean elevator pitch so that people knew in one line what I did and what I didn't do. And what that does then is kind of box you into, what if I want to explore this other thing? How do I tell that story? And admittedly, I still think about that, especially on LinkedIn. I'm starting tomorrow an end-of-life doula program. In addition to this body of work that I do, I continue to still be really passionate about that space. And I want to, on the side, in conjunction with, maybe to supersede my marketing career at some point. I don't know. I wanted to go back to school and continue to learn. And to introduce that on LinkedIn and to add enough 
verbiage in there that my current clients didn't get worried and that my prospective clients still knew that I did the, this kind of work instead of kind of embracing it as an and and not an or and as a way that I was expanding creatively and that's going to make me a better practitioner in the marketing space as I explore this kind of personal program that I'm doing, I spun a little bit on how I was going to present that to my online community and how I was going to publicly explain it. And that seems short-sighted and limiting and maybe doesn't do enough justice to your community who maybe gives you a lot more benefit of the doubt than you give yourself. Yeah, for sure. You know, it makes me harken back. So I'm with all the major changes at college, I still minored in business. So I, at least, like, yeah. I, had a, like, I had a business background too. And things were like very entrenched of, I mean, you're going to your marketing classes and there's your four P's and then you're going to business class right. and like the whole replicable model that, that can be franchised essentially, you know, that's yeah. how, that's the one way to build your business. And mm-hmm. yeah, I have felt that same part about just feeling the boxed in part. And I used to take it as kind of a liability when mm-hmm. people would ask, Maybe it's just because they were fellow marketers, you know, people who I would know, I'd see at a conference or whatever and actually meet in person for the first time. Maybe someone I was connected to in my network. And now remind me what you do. You know, we're connected and this and that. Like, remind me what what you do. And I used to take it as a liability because I'm like, well, I have to think real quick. Wait, what industry are they in? Like, what what do they do? What do I apply? And I'm like, you Mm -hmm. name it. I could, you know, I I felt like I could say (laughs) whatever you need. Whatever yeah. that is, I will figure it out. I mean, Army knife. that's how the journey has been in a lot of cases and a lot of times right. for me. And yep. I, that quality of, I'm starting finally to see that as an asset where, mm-hmm. okay, like, here's what I do now. Mm-hmm. But here's mm-hmm. the umbrella of that. Mm-hmm. Here's why. I mean, it's hard to fit it in an elevator speech now. Yes. And I'm okay right. with that. Yeah. So, right. And as you evolve and get a little bit higher up in your, I mean, you really are working less at the channel or tool or right. I I do X, Y, and Z, but also I think a lot about building community and building brand while protecting bottom line. Like I use different language to say, well, I work in strategy that does, and it's more aligned with values and mission and audience and, and kind of business goals. And the language that I use around what I do or what I can do is kind of out of the mud of what used to be, I think I would default to kind of tactical, right? Or I do, but using the term content strategy, I think is kind of a hot mess depending on the context and, the, and who you're talking to. And a lot of people can't wrap their arms around what that looks like. And so, yeah, it's probably a lot of trial and error and also kind of an evolution of you professionally to, to figure out how you talk about what you love to do, what you kick butt at without feeling sheepish about it or like you're just trying to satisfy somebody else's. You're at a networking event and you're like, whatever it is you want me to do, I can do that for you. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I I resonate with that. I feel your pain. (laughs) Content strategy. That just means you figure out what days to blog, right? You know, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I think it took me about five years to realize that when I say content, other people just think blog writing there you go. I'm like, yes. oh, oh, okay. We're we're not quite. So many assumptions that we make, yeah. and I, understandably so. But yeah, yeah that nope. yeah, client service, man. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Any thoughts there on on like uh, the role that personal brand has played in in your career and your path so far, mm-hmm. and how do you keep it relevant? Mm-hmm. There are some really wonderful people 
that I've worked in this space and coached a lot of people in this space. I think a lot of it has been more organic because of my personality and kind of my journey and the personal brand that I have built. But I think a lot by, I want to say default because it's been really, really organic. But I see a lot of coaches, personal branding coaches that, you know, are more explicit and, and more dialed in the way that they're they're explaining it to prospective clients. But I was speaking with someone recently and said, I'm, I'm mostly interested in what you're excited about and what pisses you off and what you want to be different in your space. I want to know that you have opinions and really strong ones about the things that you care about. And then let's put that out in the world in a way that's accessible to the people that you want to engage with. And that is the whole of your professional brand. So I started speaking I mean, I think it can be as simple as that. I started speaking when I left OHSU about the work that we had done there and kind of went on a speaker's tour and did a lot of speaking for free before I got to a place where I could get up the gumption of asking to be paid to speak a couple years later, but unapologetically myself. And I am very palatable and exciting to some people and some people fall asleep or I'm just not their flavor. And that is totally fine. I move towards the people, you know, with whom my personality and my content and my values are a match. So I was frequently introducing myself as the over-caffeinated, over-excitable Italian. There is a lot packed into this small unit. And I think that my energy was infectious to the people who wanted to be excited and and had that kernel in themselves, but maybe weren't in a workplace or didn't have leadership that was acknowledging that. And so I've come in and worked with a lot of organizations where there's somebody in there that's been saying the same thing that I say as a consultant, and I can come in there and be a bigger voice for them, or I can validate that, or we can elevate their kind of growing skill set in the space of digital and social. And so I think I've been just an advocate for the things that I care about and for the people that I care about. And that's created whatever brand I have. So five years later, for good or for bad, 100% of the business that we've had is referrals. I think my personal brand is authentically rooted in taking care of my online community and the people that are in my community offline as well. And they continue to take really good care of us. And so I'm not going to mess that up. So right now has been, I'm excited to be a part of this conversation because you're giving this huge gift to people who might be struggling or being thinking twice about where they're headed and what direction they're going next. And I think this is a gift to people and it comes back, you know, tenfold. So I've admittedly not had a documented personal brand statement or, you know, any kind of content billers identified in that. I've tried very hard because humble brags, you people smell those come in a mile away, but that's how I started on LinkedIn, you know, just making myself look bigger than I was by talking about everything that I was doing and running myself ragged doing all those things. So at some point, you know, you got to figure out where burnout lies to be a little bit more intentional about, you know, where you're investing your energy. But does that answer your question or does yeah. it ramble around it? Okay. No, 100%. That's going to be a relief to a lot of people who watch this of, mm-hmm. A, you didn't have a gimmick. You didn't have to come up with some song and dance, some dog and pony show. Right. That's your personal brand because I hope people don't think that's what you have to do. You don't have to be... Yes the 15 minute marketing video while I'm juggling, you you know, whatever it is. 
And here right. I am saying that, and I, and I kind of built a personal brand for a while on rapping on stage. And I'm like, you know, I generally look back and I'm like, okay, that, that has been fun at some times. And yeah. other times I'm like, right. I hope people realize like that was just to like keep them awake. Yes. And, right. and, and that was it. If that got you to think differently. Right. Yes. And there's a lot more to the brand, you know, like what, what I'm thinking about than that. And I've intentionally, you know, just put more thought provoking questions yeah. out there versus yeah. trying to be like an entertainer. And I feel like yeah. it's, for me, I can think of it as like my personal brand is starting to grow up a, a little bit because I'm still, a, I don't know if I've ever reached adulthood, like maturity wise. So I might always have a little bit of that in me. Yes. But, you know, I can see how things have evolved a little bit as the conversations have changed. And I like how, how much you keep mentioning community as we kind of start to wrap up here any final thoughts about community, how to keep in touch with people as tactical as you want to get here. Yeah. Uh, but how to build a community when somebody just thinks it's just me, like, what am I, what am I going to do? Like, do I have to, people just must've somehow got a lot of followers or people who want to connect with them. How, right. do I, how do I do that? Right. Yes. Okay. Love it. I would say reach out and connect with recruiters and connect with staffing firms so that you can have a larger team of Avengers that are looking for you and supporting you in, you know, in job growth and, and professional growth. I follow up and I, I make a joke of it in every meeting saying, I'm going to stalk you after this on LinkedIn, but I, you know, I'm going to let you know that a LinkedIn connection request is coming to expand my network. I generally accept anything that feels like it's an authentic request to connect with me as well. And you can kind of smell the ones that are funky or that super salesy or are spammy. And then the same way that you would build social media community, you'd say, okay, give, give, give as a brand and then make the ask, but make sure that they're primed for the ask by being really generous ahead of that. I share jobs that I see. I share, you know, I champion folks as much as possible and congratulate folks and, and do it in a way that feels comfortable and natural to you. But I'm online engaging with my folks a whole lot so that when the time comes, it's not going to feel gross when I say, I could use some help actually. Or does anybody have a great media buyer that I could partner with? Or it's similar, if not the exact same as you are sustaining in your offline relationship but it takes time and investment in doing that. So some people dedicate a day of the week or seven to eight in the morning, but I do need that. There's got to be a sense of consistency on how you show up and for people. I think that's a big deal. Those are my good, good ones, my tactical ones. Hey, I really hope you enjoyed this bonus series. It's been a lot of fun to produce and have these amazing conversations with this all-star lineup of experienced leaders. Remember, the modern world of work is constantly moving, so own your journey and make your move today.